0: Welcome back, or welcome to Ted and Yogi's Pac-12 Adventure. It may not be football season, Ted. We are basically in March. We are in March, and March Madness is around the corner. But we talk football year-round. <laughs> Thanks for the time. I know you're on here in Vegas in a week or so. Um, a, how are you doing? And B, like, shed some light into your upcoming travels and the Pac-12 Basketball Tournament.
1: Well, it's, it's yoga. It's great. I mean, I'm wearing my tennis top here because it's tennis is, uh, is underway. Uh, and yeah, you're right. We're, we're going to Vegas next week. Uh, the announcers for PAC 12 network will be there. Uh, we will be safely distanced from the teams and the participants. Nobody wants to jeopardize any of the teams that, you know, the, I think we've got four real solid locks into the NCAA tournament. Hopefully there's a fifth, but, uh, you don't wanna jeopardize those teams opportunities. So everything's gonna be done with safety and distance. Uh, We're minimizing the time we're in Vegas. Uh, uh, So anyway, that being said, uh, I was in Tempe Monday for basketball. There was a special Monday afternoon makeup game. And as I'm walking to, uh, from the, I fly in in the morning, go to the airport, take an Uber to our Lyft to uh, Starbucks. And I'm walking down the main road to the arena. And there I see our friend, Mark Brand, who's the, in there at Arizona State 30 years and does a magnificent job. And Mark says, so did you hear about the testing problem? And of course, oh gosh. And then I walk to the basketball arena and here comes David Hall pulling in one of the great veteran basketball officials. He goes, hey, I don't think we're going to play. <laughs> and I hear that. Then I walk in the arena and Bill Walton's there already. And I walk up to Bill and I said, Bill, it doesn't look good. He goes, what? And so the game got called off because of a testing issue uh, within Washington state's program. And they're not going to make that game up, but I, and I know we're off the football track, but let me just say this, you know, cause we lived through it in football and football had more difficulty pulling this off pac 12, assuming that things fall in place here through Sunday will play all but four of their basketball games this year, 116 wow. out of 120 will be played. And that's amazing given, you know, hand Oregon state's been, or, or excuse me, Oregon has been ravaged by it, Arizona state has been ravaged. A few other programs have been hit, but given that, uh, you know, Oregon basically played one game the entire month of January. So given that, if that, the effort that everybody's put in conference teams, coaches, players, officials to get that done, it's pretty, pretty astounding. So, um uh, the, the big thing by next Friday, or next Saturday, I should say, is the conference season will be over by next Saturday in Vegas, and the, the teams that are going to go to the NCAA tournament in Indianapolis, can they all pass all the tests that they have to beforehand to get there safely? And then it's going to be you know, the bubble that the NCAA is trying to pull off for the tournament in Indianapolis. It's way harder than what the – everything I've read, much more difficult than what the NBA did in Orlando, much more difficult. Um, I'm hoping they can. if they can pull it off, it would be an incredible, incredible achievement by the NCAA.
0: Wow. Okay. I I got a quick follow-up, and then I want to talk about the tournament in a second here before we get into the Pac-12 football schedule. But we talked a lot about the Campbell Award Mm -hmm. on this podcast. You're connected to it. Brady White, former Arizona State quarterback, now former Memphis quarterback. He finished his career there training for the draft. His dad's a a big-time basketball official. Have you had a chance to talk to him about his son and that award?
1: I saw Darren White, uh, gosh, Boulder, a couple of weeks ago. I saw Darren. I so I went up to him on the court, just you know, within the outside the six foot rule. I went, I went up to him and I yelled at him and we talked. And he didn't know about, he didn't really know much about Bill Campbell and Bill's importance, et cetera. So we talked a lot about it and uh, and he was, he was, I said, just make sure your son is proud. And he goes, I will. So that was good to hear. So now we have another one: the the Halinski's Hope program, yoga that you have been so vital with and have introduced me to.
0: Yeah, really excited about what they're doing with the incident delay and Halinski's Hope, and we love this program. We've supported it since it happened, and uh, everybody knows the story. Whether you're in Pullman, whether it's the United States, and and I believe around the globe about how this organization was formed. Uh, It it was terrible. It was the passing of Tyler Helinski. Uh, He passed away by suicide in 2018. And after that, his parents have just gone to work to educate college campuses, athletes, uh, anybody around mental health and trying to destigmatize that element. Uh, I love what Mark Helinski said uh, when he got awarded or I don't know if he got awarded, but when they said, hey, you're going to be a part of March Madness and the NCAA. He said, look, we're incredibly humbled to be involved with March Madness. Because every day we fight to save lives and eliminate stigma by providing resources and mental wellness programs for student-athletes around the country. Uh, I love that. I love what they're about. They're awesome. Tyler loved Hoops, so it's great. And uh, that entire family is so thankful. My family, we're going to buy one. Uh, can't wait. So our son, Zane, during the Final Four, will be able to watch Able to watch Final Four and say, Hey, man, this is why we have a sign up. This is why all these cardboard cutouts are there because we're supporting an organization that is doing real, real work uh, supporting and impacting student athletes all across the globe and, and many other people. So, really excited about that.
1: That's great. Where's Ryan going to end up?
0: Uh, Ryan Holinsky ended up at uh Northwestern. Yeah,
1: Northwestern. Okay, I knew yeah. he had moved again. I just wondering where. Yeah,
0: yeah. so no, excited. Excited for him and, uh, and the entire Helinski family. Uh, okay, so with that said, l- let's talk about the Pac-12 football schedule. It just got announced this past week. Um, I did three hours on Pac-12 Networks and Sirius XM where we talked to every head coach. Uh, top line, Ted, nine games against Power 5 opponents outside of the Pac-12, two against Notre Dame, four games against teams that finished in the top five of the final CFP ranking. San Jose State being one of them. They play USC in the opener. Ten games against non-Pac-12 teams that finished in the top 25 uh, in in the final college football playoff rankings. Um, So really exciting. Then, of course, five games against BYU. So top line, I think the non-conference slate is amazing. Top line, when you look at the teams in this conference, nine teams return over 80% of their production in the Pac-12 nine teams there's 26 in the country that return that amount of production so i i, I am excited about it i'm curious for you your, your first takeaway when you saw the schedule was what
1: you know i'll, I'll be honest yoga. obviously uh i spent if somebody doesn't know i spent 13 years broadcasting stanford football on the radio so I'm, and i live in the shadows of of the campus there so i i automatically look at that and i know stanford has been willing to take on pretty challenging schedules in David Shaw's time. And I looked at that, Ooh, okay. Uh, You know, it's, it's, it's going to be tough up front given some travel. I mean, Vanderbilt, I'm sure they scheduled because Derek Mason was the head coach. Now Derek is no longer, but Derek had been a D coordinator and worked with David Shaw at Stanford. So that was probably part of the motivation for that game. Um, The other element that jumps in, which ties into something else you mentioned, is once again, this, uh, and I don't believe there's going to be an out to this scenario anytime in the near future, but Stanford and USC play in week two. And again, I'll hammer this point home. If someone is not familiar, why does Stanford and USC always play in week two? It's because of Notre Dame, because those two schools are in long-term deals with Notre Dame. Neither school bluntly should get out of them. (laughs) Uh, And the the insistence from the Notre Dame side, Notre Dame will only sign those deals if they play the California games on Thanksgiving weekend, which messes up the hope of having a nice symmetrical finish to the conference season with everybody playing on Thanksgiving weekend. So Stanford and USC again play week two. And is that the only conference one, Yoke, on week two?
0: That is. Yeah. And it's an incredible non-conference slate in week two.
1: Yep, With Michigan and Washington and, Texas A&M and Colorado, but uh, so the what the Stanford USC thing is, of course, it puts amazing and a hugely important conference game early, and then at the end of the year, what we see this year, uh, which hasn't I haven't noticed this before, is that USC is going to play a game on Thanksgiving weekend instead of having UCLA be the final game, they're going to play BYU on Thanksgiving weekend, uh, and that is that's at the Coliseum, isn't it?
0: Yeah, that, that's, that's the at the Coliseum for USC. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I think for me, um, the thing that stood out initially was uh, the non-con games. You referenced a couple of them. Remember, Oregon goes to Ohio State. That's a huge game uh, for a bunch of reasons. UCLA hosts LSU um, on the 4th of September. UCLA is the only week zero team in this conference. They kick it off against Todd Graham and Hawaii at home. Todd Graham makes his way back to the Pac-12 footprint, uh, which will be fun and interesting chance that we call that one on the Pac-12 networks as well. So hopefully that's the case. We can kick off college football season. It's been a while since we've been in an actual booth. Uh, But the other thing that stood out to me was, was who every team doesn't play in the conference. So USC, Oregon and Washington, they miss them this year. Utah, they don't play UW and Cal. They've been great games. Oregon referenced SC. They don't play Arizona State. Um, and, and Washington, um, obviously, SC and Utah. So I went and did some homework, and, and I've been asked a lot on this on social media, and I think it's important to just state the reality of, in 2011, when the Pac-12 became the Pac-12, the agreement that, that you know better than anybody was the California schools were never going to miss each other. That was just kind of what it was going to be, as you, as you hear our dog bark in the background here. Um, so you've got to miss some teams. So in 2013 and 14, SC did not play Washington Oregon. 17 and 18 same thing and 21 and 22 will be the same thing as well so uh i think people are like wow is the pac-12 kind of trying to grease the wheels and give sc an easier road or oregon or washington and it's just not the case Uh, i do think it's a much more equitable schedule you don't see anybody go 12 straight weeks like sc and arizona have done in the past couple seasons you don't see anybody with a short week uh late road game no nobody's kind of in that type of uh dynamic scenario. Yeah. So uh, fundamentally, uh, those were a couple of the things that stood out to me.
1: Yeah. I, And I know, obviously, look, in a 12-team conference, we can't have a round-robin. It can't happen. So that was, that was a fallout and a consequence that every other major conference that expanded has lived through the same thing. You expand to a certain number, you can't play everybody. Um, the realities were that to expand to this uh, situation, Utah and Colorado demanded being in the same division as USC and UCLA. That was just a condition they put on admission. That's been the case. So they're going to play every year. Then the California schools end up in the North go, oh, wait a minute, we're not signing on to anything where we don't play USC and UCLA. So the California schools. So as a result, that's why the misses end up falling outside those two parameters. And for anybody that wants to, and sadly, I know as a country, we're in this sad spiral of conspiracy theories, but just go. How, when do Alabama and Georgia play?
0: I did just go the homework. I did the homework. Check that out. Tell me. So they, they had to play last year because yes. everything got flipped up outside yes. its head. But prior to that, they didn't play each other in the regular season other than 2015, right? 2015. Yeah. They had the most challenging crossover game. So that's exactly where my head went as well. I was like, well, let me just find out what it is. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that that conference does that on purpose. I don't know the details of those contracts exact, exactly like, like we do, of course, in the Pac-12, but when you have your highest profile teams. Thank you. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Very much. All right. So here, here's the challenge. Um, I do this every year. Uh, when the schedule comes out, I go through it, right? For those watching on Facebook or YouTube, I'm showing it right now. And I pick the games. And then I go to spring ball. I pick them again. And then I go to training camp and pick them again. Because uh, this is just what we know. And what I found as I was picking games, Ted, was I kept circling the key games for opponents. They were all pretty much Arizona State. And it said something in my subconscious like, man, ASU is pretty loaded. And then you look at it. Frank Darby doesn't return, but they got a lot of talent at receiver. Cade Cody decided to retire. He was their sixth year starting center and move on with his life. But that's it. They are Merlin Robertson, Darius Butler. You look at the corners and Chase Lucas and Jack Jones. They're loaded in terms of the starters coming back from last year. And they, of course, started spring practice earlier this week, along with Cal, the two teams that are in spring practice currently. So then I looked at their schedule. And as you go down it, they don't have one of those crazy non-conference games that we referenced earlier, right? It's Southern Utah, UNLV, uh, at BYU, it won't be easy. And then their conference slate, I think, is set up pretty good. Colorado at UCLA, Stanford at home on a Friday, and then the biggest game of their season to me, which we called two years ago, is on the road at Utah. Yeah. Asked Herm about that earlier this week, and he said, "Yeah, man, they were more physical than us." And that we've called that game a bunch. That's always a fun one. That is the game to me that is one of the biggest of the year in Pac-12 conference play. I'm curious how you see that.
1: Yeah, no question in the South and. That goes off past history yoga, and that's where we I I, I have to I at least put the, the brakes on a little bit in my own world. and I'm going I've just talked a lot about this in all basketball, is we're seeing again how ludicrous it is to try to predict a basketball season in August. Right. When you see what is happening right now with Oregon in basketball, in men's basketball, where finally they've they've put COVID behind them, and they've been able to practice together for a month to put all their new pieces together. And right now they're crushing it. <laughs> they're crushing it. Um, so that's where I'm going with football. I'm hoping, as we talked about last week, that there is spring football, legitimate spring football for everybody. Um, games being secondary because no one plays much of a spring game anymore, but at least the spring session that I think everybody, right? Don't you? The players need it after last year. And that way you're at least going to what everybody is, is hoping and praying is a normal fall. You go into that with the best preparation possible.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And, and we're going to get some questions from fans. Um, you know, a lot of people do the mailbag thing. We're doing like yeah. the Instagram mailbag. <laughs> so we got a bunch of DMS that, that I'm going to hit you on. We'll bounce baby back baby and forth. Yeah. <laughs> um, to me, you, you, we get asked these questions all the time, right? Who's got the easiest path? Who's got the most challenging schedule? I think that's hard to say, not knowing the teams, but I do think that Stanford's schedule is challenging at first, but it's set up well for them, and here's why. And you've lived this, as you referenced, for 13 years calling their games. They play Kansas State at Jerry World to kick it off. Neutral site, they'll be juiced up for that. Then they go to SC. You referenced the Notre Dame thing. They're always going to play SC early. Then they go to Vandy, and then school starts. School starts September 20th. Mm -hmm. And how many times have we been to Stanford stadium and nobody's there because they're not in school. So I like the fact that they start away from campus their first three games. Now they're the only team in the country that does that. In fact, there's not one team in power five football Ted that goes two straight in a row to kick off the season away from home. So they go three, but man, then they get a UCLA and Oregon at home. We've been there for Oregon Stanford back in the day when it was hype. I think that game is going to be that I think Stanford was playing as good as anybody at the end of last year. They have holes, notably at quarterback. They have to fill it. I'm a believer in Tanner McKee, but we got to see it hopefully in spring, if we get the opportunity to do so. Uh, But man, they do have a challenging road, but I like how it's set up. And I think this team this year is they're set up to be the Stanford of old in terms of they can dictate some terms. I love their offensive line. They're three deep at running back. Uh, the receivers are impressive. John Humphreys is a name you may not know, but get used to it. I think he's going to be an All-Conference player by the time his career is done. The defense is going to be healthy. They need to be healthy. They haven't been healthy in a while. Ricky Mason at linebacker, I think we'll like him once he gets healthy. But that was a schedule for me where it's like they they don't have they don't have a gimme, and everybody doesn't, but they don't even have a non-power five team that they play. I think they're the team in the country that does that as well.
1: Yeah, Stanford, that's been a Stanford tradition too under David Shaw. What, what, when I was talking about Stanford's schedule, that's what I was touching on was the upfront. And again, yep. this being a year, Stanford's schedule in football is extraordinarily imbalanced. And this is the odd number year. The odd number year means that their challenge is going to be they have to play at USC early in the year at the Coliseum. But the rest of their road schedule isn't as daunting. Their home schedule is massive. And that's what I meant by the imbalance, because this is actually the year where Stanford can sell tickets. People will go to games because they have UCLA, Oregon, Washington, rivalry game, Cal and Notre Dame all at home. All at home. It's a massive schedule at home. That's what you hope. On the Stanford side, they hope they can take advantage of it. I'm interested to this, noticing, because we were looking, and there are two Friday night games on Thanksgiving weekend, which I kind of dismiss a little bit of those. Otherwise, not a ton of Friday games, but Stanford has two. USC has none, and I don't know how that happened. I have no idea other than to say I took note of that. Is that a big deal? Uh, Yeah, I think
0: it is, because for Stanford, um, they're short weeks. You know, It's not like they had a buy the previous week. Or they have two Friday games back to back, like Washington State does. So yeah, I, I think that's notable. Speaking of Washington State, just a heads up, like they go nine straight before a bye. Yeah, that's the longest stretch of anybody. And then when we look at SC schedule, um, I, I like where the bye's situated because then they go to Notre Dame, and they're going to come off a physical game against Utah. And I think that was to to the point of the conference. We've heard about it for years. Like, can we make the schedule? where we don't put our teams in harm's way and make it like overtly more challenging than it should be granted. It's the latest they'll ever play in South bend in the history of that rivalry. Uh, but I like it on October 23rd. So it, I, I do think SC has got a nice schedule. I think it's a challenge for them every week. Cause they're going to get everybody's best. They, I, I don't know if they will be the lone favorite, they will be a favorite to win the South, but the stretch for me, for them is the end of the season. ASU at ASU at Cal, the rivalry against UCLA and here's the BYU issue. Remember two years ago when Utah went to the Pac-12 title game and lost to Oregon, they played BYU in the same week. They had already clinched and they did not look good, you know, because it, it, it's one of those things as a staff where like, if you're competing for the CFP, it's one thing, but let's right. just say you have two losses and you're not doing that. You're you're trying to just win the Rose bowl, you're trying to win the Rose. Bowl. So what do you do? I, I think there is granted it, it is many moons away um, Thanksgiving weekend, but I think that's something noteworthy. If SC is not in position for the college football playoff, how do they handle that game if they do end up having it's, won the South the previous week?
1: Yeah, that's a good point because again, it's first time we've seen we've seen that game. I know BYU played at Cal a couple of uh, played a game at Cal a couple of years ago on that Thanksgiving Saturday because the conference wants would like to have everybody playing, and the schools and I know again living it. Stanford and Cal, USC and UCLA. Traditionally, the rivalry game was their last game, and that got thrown out the window when the conference became, it was one of the traditions that got lost in the 12-team expansion because those four schools did not want to play the rivalry game on Thanksgiving weekend, (laughs) and we totally get why. They don't, the campuses are shut down, students, Stanford's case, the students leave. And I'm, I don't know the, the USC-UCLA particulars, but I know the same thing. They did not want to play the rivalry game on Thanksgiving weekend. So it left this scheduling hole, and that's why it struck me right away. And by the way, BYU this year, maybe the conference was thinking, this is a good time because Zach Wilson's leaving. The, I mean, this is Notre Dame. Notre Dame plays five ACC games a year. They're not in the conference, but they play five games against ACC teams. That's part of their agreement. BYU's got five in the pack this year.
0: Yeah, this is a big deal for the pack as well. I said it yesterday on a radio show in Salt Lake City. Of Pac-12 can't go two and three against BYU, yeah. right? And and we know it in terms of the playoff. And, and you know this, Ted. But I got this for the listeners. I got to present every other week to the committee this past year on behalf of the Pac-12. And I do think there's a disconnect between four best at the end of the season and is it the whole body of work? And for the Pac-12 schools, just look at revisionist history. Washington, Oregon lose to Auburn, and that kind of shut a door perceptually on a conference versus the end of the season, let's just say last year your alma mater, Notre Dame, played Clemson, and it was like, doesn't matter who wins and loses, they're both going to play playoff. So I, I think there's something there around the BYU thing where this conference, look, we don't get the benefit of the doubt, but that's just kind of the way that it is. So against the BYU team, I think this conference needs to have a strong record. Um, and and, those, and the games are set up to be pretty fun, and I think advantageous versus uh, BYU. Jed Fish kicks it off. His era kicks off against BYU in Vegas. That's going to be really fun. I think it's Allegiant Stadium there in Vegas. Utah gets them week two. ASU goes to BYU, as does Utah, in week three. Um, and then Washington State gets them uh, week eight. And then, of course, you referenced SC at the end. Um, all right, two more things before we get to the questions, Ted. I think it's notable for Arizona State. I talked about their schedule early on and their non-conference slate, not being what everybody else's is. I like the way their schedule is set up until mid-November. They, go to, they got USC, not easy, at home, ton of juice, ton of energy, so many kids from L.A. Then they go to Washington and go to Oregon State. They're going to Oregon State for the third straight year, as is Stanford. And that's just the way that corona kind of shook everything out last year. But they're going in November. They obviously went in December last year. That's hard. We remember when they were, I think they were fifth in the country under Todd Graham. They went up there, and it was 26 degrees. You know, the players didn't want any part of that type of scenario. So I, I think that's something to watch. Uh, any takeaway in that regard?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, and I it was before you were with us, Yoga. It was back in the – we were still the Pac-10. Uh, Dennis Erickson took Arizona State up to Pullman in mid-November. It was Vontez. I remember Vontez Perfect clearly was on the team. And it was, it was a night game, Saturday night game. It snowed. You know, snowing in the air, 25 degrees or whatever. Arizona State goes out there. And, of course, they do the, I, I think, the, you know, just idiotic macho thing of trying to go out there and warm up with no shirts on.
0: Yeah.
1: And then they go out to play the game. They kick the ball off, and they're complete no-shows. Washington State just throttled them, just a complete no-show. The weather, you know, the weather shriveled them up, and it was just so. So I'm looking at that because the other thing I looked at right away is uh, Nick Rolovich, seven home games. Yeah. Smart, smart yes. job, Nick. Way to go, Pat Chun? <laughs> seven home games got BYU to go to Pullman this year. Smart. Yeah,
0: that's going to be a fun one. I, I like that team. I like that culture they're building. And, and the last thing, absolutely, really that's why I say
1: seven home games is a good edge for them. Nick.
0: Yeah, I mean, he even said on our show earlier this week he was said, uh, "Man, I don't even know what Martin Stadium is like. Sold out. He's like, I just keep hearing about it. It's almost like this mystique now. So yeah, I know he's excited to hopefully have a packed house there."
1: Well, he's going to find then, out week three when USC is there. That's when he's going to find out.
0: <laughs> amen. Amen. Again,
1: we all and we're all hoping and praying that's the case.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and then just for Utah, because we got a, uh, a nice fellowship there. You look at their schedule, and what I think is really cool is okay. They have to go to SC. They haven't won in Los Angeles against USC since I believe it was 1916. If Jim Thornby, a researcher of my mind, recalls the the stat that he gave me, but they get ASU ucla oregon at home and i think that's just a big deal for them and when i go through this you know kind of mock selection show if you will because we're in march i circled the 11 games on their schedule that i could see go either way there's only 12 right opponents so i i would like how their schedule sets up for them at home Uh, they got to find a quarterback they got to find a receivers coach now. Uh, they got to stretch the field and see if they can become that team that we expect them to come. But I, I think they're going to be dangerous again under Kyle Whittingham with so many guys returning and, to that roster.
1: And here's what I, when I looked at Utah you know, it's funny you referenced. I I actually, maybe this is just my bent. I always look at non-conference there at BYU at San Diego state. Now San Diego state was a little down this past year, but I, 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 I guess I have enough, faith in the history of that program they won't stay down long but that's too tough that's too tough roadies back-to-back in non-conference
0: yeah San Diego State scares me because remember when Keller Chris went down there they lost at San Diego State a couple years ago Uh, and then Arizona State lost on that crazy play at the end of the game the Hail Mary
1: they're going to play in Carson they're not playing in San Diego again this coming year but it's, right. a, uh, it's just up uh, to me that that program's too good. I, I just won't believe they're going to be down again like they were this past year.
0: Yeah, yeah I hope we get to call one there. Uh, I don't know if we did it together. I did a spring game at Carson, UCLA spring game, maybe eight years ago. Uh, anyway, it's a, it's a fun environment for Utah fans. If you want a cool trip to L.A. Um, or Southern California, heck, make it a three week stay and just stick around for the SC game as well. Mm-hmm. Um, OK, uh, let's get to some questions before we get out of here. Uh, Ted, I'm going to hit you with this uh, first one because you live in Northern California. Um, this is from a, a listener, a fan. How do you think Cal's going to do this year? What I'm, are your thoughts?
1: I, I I'm bull- That's going to be another, it's like San Diego State. I, they were a little down last year and I think it surprised, certainly surprised me, I think you as well. I'll let you speak to that. But uh, I think this is a rebound year. Um, staff rejuggles a little bit, I think much to the benefit for Justin Wilcox. I think Chase Garbers is a bounce back candidate. He's going to be the person I'm most curious to watch if there's going to be a rebound player of the year. I don't say comeback, that's not right in college, but just a rebound. Um, the guy that we saw the second half of, of 2019. Uh, I, I hear, I don't know him personally, you know, but I hear so many good things about Bill Musgrave. Um, and to have, again, to have a full year, which he didn't have this past year, to watch him implement what he would like to do. On offense with Chase and the tools around him, I, I, I'm, I would be a little more bullish on Cal this year. Let's see they play at TCU. That's another team. They were down last year, but I. That's a tough one. I don't think yeah. Gary Patterson stays down very long.
0: Yeah, I'd agree. I, I'm looking forward to Cal. I think um, to me right now, I had them uh, having the opportunity to get to double digit wins, if not more. I think they're that veteran and you know, to steal your term from tennis, they don't make a lot of unforced errors. Right. And I, I think last year ravaged them that we didn't even get a like an appropriate scope of who that team is. Right. So um okay,
1: and, cool. And by the way, they start with Nevada at home in Berkeley. But I mean that's gonna be a heck of a first game, isn't it?
0: Yeah, Jay Norman played
1: last year. Yeah.
0: Exactly right. They they are impressive. Um and TCU, of course, uh Bob Schmelzby, the alum there at TCU. I love their quarterback um max dugan he's a he's a heck of a player or max Duggan, excuse me uh okay this one uh caught a lot of heat on social media ted you've been around this conference for for a while here uh it was asked will the apple cup ever be on a saturday again and there was a big argument around like thanksgiving and driving and coming from seattle uh w- what do you think like should that game be on a saturday I mean, the weather could be the same on a friday or a saturday but the argument was like we rushed to get there and there's always like some trepidation around the travel in that regard. Um, I don't even know that game on a Saturday. I feel like I've only seen that on a Friday.
1: Yeah, I called it a few. I actually I remember calling one on a Saturday when the uh, when the Huskies played in the Seahawks Stadium. It was the year that the the stadium was being renovated on campus, so they played the Apple Cup on a Saturday night, but it was in uh, it was in the Seahawks Stadium. I, you know, I, I I be honest again, I know for a fact that Stanford and Cal just refused to play the big game uh, on a Friday. They refused to play it on Thanksgiving weekend. I think USC and UCLA have taken the same stance. To me, it's up to the two schools. I know that becomes a problem for the conference because you're trying to deliver (laughs) games to your network partners are paying you very nicely for that. So you have to have product to give them. I I get that. But ultimately to the, to the question, and I'm sure to the social media backlash to me, that's up to the two schools. The two schools have to take a stand because I know Stanford and Cal have done it, and I think USC and UCLA have done it as well.
0: Okay, uh, last two. Uh, how do you see Oregon State finishing this year? Uh, they moved up their spring or they moved back their spring practice a little bit. They'll get going. They kick it off at Purdue, which is the non-conference game that probably won't get as much play as it deserves. Going to the Big Ten country, then they have Hawaii. Todd Graham, second game against Pac-12 teams, uh, and then Idaho, which is a win before they travel to LA against SC.
1: Yeah, I, I, the Oregon State to me is becoming to football what Oregon is to men's basketball for me. It was, the, you know, Jonathan Smith is playing the portal, right? And I, I'm i just, I don't know. I, first question, obviously, is who's the quarterback going to be? Um, you know, I, I thought to me, at least in my view, that was an open question at the end of the year. I'm not sure how Jonathan sees it. Uh, so I, I don't know how you feel about it. Is Jamar Jefferson definitely gone?
0: Yeah. He's yeah.
1: definitely gone. Okay. So yeah. that that's another question. So now, you know they've they've done really well in the history of Beaver football with a lead back, right? For a long, I mean, twenty years worth of really good going back to Ken Simonton. there's mm-hmm. my history. I like um, it. You know, not Stephen Jackson before him, Ken Simonton. I mean, you had re- you've had really good lead backs at Oregon State. Who's that going to be? So I, I, to me, I I'm in that mode of I don't even know what to say about them because they're just. Question marks and and who is eventually going to end up wearing Beaver uniforms this fall?
0: Yeah, I think um, for me and this team, I circled 10 games that I thought could go either way. Like, I think they beat Hawaii and Idaho and the rest of the season. I think any game can go any way. And they're the team that has lost tight and won tight. Obviously, the Oregon game being the biggest win in Jonathan Smith's career uh, at Oregon State last year. The thing that gets no play for them, and we had a chance to talk to Coach Smith a couple days ago, and you can check it out online if you missed it, their entire offensive line returns. Five of their top six receivers return. You know me. You've heard me for two years say the tight end position is back. They're loaded. They've got two all-conference caliber tight ends in that program. And I think receiver is the ultimate plug-and-play spot and kind of running back, too. Like, Jamar Jefferson is special, but – can you find a guy that can hit the hole, hit the seam like you need to uh, behind an offensive line? I think so. They got a new running back coach, A.J. Stewart, who came from Arizona, who people loved him on the Kevin Sumlin's staff. So I don't think uh, – I don't know if it's going to be at the production level with Jamar Jefferson, but they've got talent in that room. They've recruited well. And then defensively, uh, this defense is not the defense that was porous a couple of years ago, statistically, in the country and didn't tackle well in year one of Jonathan Smith. All the transfers that you referenced, talking about like the Avery Roberts of the world. I think he led the Pac-12 in tackles last year, if, if memory yeah. serves me right. So I, I'm ex, I'm excited to watch this team play. And, and to, before I get to the last question, uh, just to put a bow on every one of these teams, because so much production returns, I couldn't find a game, and I can't find a team in conference. Where you're like, yeah, they're down. Even Arizona. What they've done in the portal, they just added another defensive player a couple days ago. Uh, we'll get through that. We'll, we'll, we'll have Jed on the pod here, and We'll we'll dive into their roster to get closer and closer to their spring game. But there's, let me, there's let me no add, layup.
1: Yeah, let me add one thing on Oregon State, Yog, uh, you, you you brushed on this. Uh, watching Jonathan Smith during his years as the head coach there, I've been so impressed. His offense knows what's going on. He yeah. has an ability to get people open and productive despite – having injuries in other words i'm saying i went i watched this firsthand with Kyle Shanahan in the nfl his offense works <laughs> people are open running plays work now it's up to the execution and for example in the, the 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 shanahan thing it was you need a quarterback that just can play you need a quarterback that functions doesn't have to be a hero the quarterback doesn't need to be superman but just function within this structure and that's where i'm going that's my take on oregon state jonathan smith's offense is pretty damn good So if he gets a quarterback that can function right, running back that can function, that leads to part two, which is the same theory I've talked about with UCLA. Got to play some defense. If you can play some defense, it's going to give you a chance because that offense should be good enough. Yeah, I'm with you there.
0: It'll be fun to track them. All right, and the last one, uh, let's talk quarterbacks here. The question was, uh, is Jaden Daniels the best QB in the Pac-12? Let's just paint a picture here. A year ago, you can call it six months ago, you and I were on this show and we're like, Every quarterback's got a chance to return. Yeah. I thought we'd get 12 out of 12 coming back, wearing the same uniform, being the same starter for that respective team. I'm talking Grant Gannell, Tyler Shuck, two te- two quarterbacks that are on totally different teams currently. Right now, with confidence, Cal has a returning starter, a starter, a quarterback, Arizona State, USC, and UCLA. Yeah. I'm not confident and say it's Dylan Morris all day long. They got Patrick O'Brien, they got a transfer, they got the number of quarterback of the country, and Sam Eward coming in. Four quarterbacks return with juice as like the solidified C on their jersey quarterback. Uh, Do you think among those four, Jaden would be your pick as the the top quarterback? And what do you think of that thought of like a year ago, we thought everybody was coming back and now we only have four.
1: And a year ago, you know, I was certainly on the Chase Garbers train. And thought that. And so, yeah, you probably got diminished diminish a little bit. The only other name when you said that statement about Jaden Daniels, the other name that jumped into my mind was DTR. Mm. And so, uh, and, you know, that, that again, that's functioning within a very specific offense that when it works is spectacular. Yeah. So I would say that it also leads to back to all things come back to the root is that, yeah, you're going to have so many new quarterbacks mm-hmm. That's why it's so hard to me to sit here and, and talk in February, March, early March now about what's going to happen at least until, you know, hopefully we see some spring football and we get some, you know, vision in spring football of how teams are looking at certain quarterbacks and which guys emerge as the leaders. But yeah, Jay, I mean, with Jay, with the, with the, with the coaching that's around Jaden Daniels, right. And the fact they've had some pretty good people around him. So you suspect they will continue to have good skill position players around Jaden Daniels. You can't argue with that. If somebody stands up and says best hottest guy, most heat coming on him coming into the season. Yeah. How do you argue that?
0: Yeah. He's got a chance um to go from the darling as a freshman to he's he's in conversations for, you know, one of the first quarterbacks taken next year in the draft.
1: Absolutely. And Yogi goes back to what we talked about in our air raid conversation. He's going to end up, you know, if he plays a full year, which we hope this year, he's going to end up with what, probably 30 starts. Yeah. Half a year this past year. So he'll still end up 30 or so, which is good in this day and age. That's a good number for the pros to look at and assess.
0: Yeah. And uh, her members just told us um, earlier this week that he is a captain now, which uh, he said, I wouldn't give it to him as a freshman. I wouldn't make him a captain. So he's that now. So him and Slovis and DTR in the South, that will be fun. And that's Uh, the
1: other DTR and Slovis are guys that are going to end up in the 30s for starts, too. That's the other point that we're saying. That number's shockingly diminishing.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Amen to that. All right. Lots to talk about. You got to continue to prep for March Madness. Uh, we might take a week off because you're going to be in Vegas for the tournament. We'll be tuned in to the Pac-12 Networks, Ted, uh, but I'll be tracking football. So I got you when we come back and for everybody to listen, make sure you share it. Uh, let us know how you consume it too. Do You like it on Facebook live. We've heard some cool comments on that. Do you enjoy it on YouTube? Do you want it? you still listen to it the old fashioned way on, on podcasts in between the ears? Let us know and uh, we'll try to continue to deliver high-impact, and uh, hopefully intellectual Pac-12 football content. He's Ted. I'm Yogi. It's Ted Yogi's Pac-12 Adventure. Stay safe.
1: Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.